my guest this week is Julia Gaffer. Um, her work is her main thing out right now is Black as the Color, a work that was originally serialized on the study group uh, comics website as well. She has the uh, book Flesh and Bone that came out from Spark Plug three years ago and Too Dark to See as well as work in the third and final Thickness volume. Uh, anything else I'm missing? Um, I think those are all the all the standalone books. I did a lot of mini comics, but not Flesh and Bone and Two Ecstasy and Black is the Color are the are the major ones. I did a, I did a series called Ariadne of Noxus that was published by Teenage Dinosaur. Oh, okay. Back in like. 2008, 2009, I think. That's Tim Goodyear's thing? Yeah, yeah. Nice. I like that guy. Yeah, he's terrific. He's one of my favorite guys of all time. He has the best hair, I think. He has great hair, and he has a great, like, style. He's got this jacket with all these, like, patches and buttons. And he has all these children now. He's just the raddest dad that you ever saw. Yeah, like and he's also... In addition to being a publisher, he will also serve as, like, your guru and say, like, incredibly deep things just off the cuff and then act like he doesn't know how, how wise he is. <laughs> Very charming. He'll, he'll, he'll yeah, I, I can see that. Um. <laughs> He's a great guy to have around. Good. You still, uh, it seems like you're pretty involved in the Portland comics community. Um, yeah, I think um, my entire, all, all of my friends are involved in comics in some way. I, uh, my, my very first friends that I made when I moved to, per to Portland were Dylan Williams and Sean Christensen. So they just like absorbed me into their world and it was just all comics all the time. I, when I moved here, I was kind of focused on fine art and comics were like a thing that I did on the side or whatever, like, to blow off steam. But then everybody around me was doing comics all the time. They were so excited when I would draw a comic. And I, I was like, all right, this is my thing. This is my thing now. <laughs> <laughs> Had you read many comics before moving to Portland, being around these folks? Um, Not really. And I still don't read a ton of comics. I read a little bit. Like, I read my friend's comics. Yeah because we'll get together and draw and they'll show me what they're working on and stuff. Um, I mean, I've had some comics growing up, but I, I wouldn't say it was, like, my, my thing. And I read, like, the first... One of the first comics that I read was Mouse when I was in junior high. I was, like, 11 or 12. Mm -hmm. And it made a really big impression on me. You know, it's an amazing book. Uh, I don't know, maybe there's something there like I didn't really read like kids comics all that much, I just jumped into like really serious uh, heavy stuff <laughs> yeah well I'm just curious about that, like about how moving to Portland and like um, hanging out with these folks it, uh, creatively interacting and how that kind of shifted your practice um, from not so much on the quote-unquote fine art um, into the more serialized or not serialized but sequential way of putting your art of doing yeah. art. that's interesting isn't it because in retrospect it, it's a really good fit for me and I did I have been drawing comics ever since I was really young it just wasn't like I don't think it, it I had ever considered having that be, like, my main thing, my career. Um, but when I was studying fine art in school, you know, my teachers were always, you know, this was, like, a little bit before, I guess, the, there started being comics majors and stuff in art schools. I took, there was a, a couple of comics classes, two semesters that I took with Ellen Forney in my, I want to say my junior and senior year. But other than that, you know, I would do just anything 
narrative in any way, my teachers would be like, well, why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I, my drawing has always been really representational, maybe in a way that comes off a little precious in a fine art context. I don't know. Was it similar to what you'd been doing, like I saw online the photos of the art show you did with, um, oh my god, uh, with Angie and, uh... Oh, yeah. No, it wasn't. It was more, like, when I graduated school I was doing, mm, like, pencil drawing. Okay. Really, it was, um, kind of influenced by... I'm looking at my bookshelf right now, <laughs> trying to think who it was influenced by. I mean, Egon Schiele, I guess, and Clint, and also, like, Chloe Payne, it, if you've ever seen her work, it's really, like, kind of spindly, uh, creepy drawings on white paper. Um, a lot of nudes, like, a lot of self-portraits and portraits of, like, people's minor injuries, bruises, and things like that, uh, blisters, and it got to a point where people, like, any time they got some kind of weird injury, they would be like, Julia, do you want to, do you want to draw this? Like, my husband broke his finger, it's really gnarly, uh, which was fun. But, you know, and I really, I really loved doing drawings like that, uh, and maybe I would still be doing them, but the, the response that I got to my comics, even though I was just doing comics a little bit, was huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I probably had my first art show, I mean, I, I guess I started being in group shows when I was in school, and I had solo shows, like, probably at least once a year, um, and I had been reviewed, like, maybe five times, like, one or two interviews. And then suddenly, like, as soon as Flesh and Bone came out, it was just, like, so much, so much attention, so many reviews, and everybody had read it. Like, everybody that I met was like, oh, I read your book, it was so cool. And the reviews made me feel like people really got where I was coming from, and suddenly it wasn't, it didn't feel like a liability that I was drawing on all the all of these like influences from literature and from culture from other stuff that I had seen. Mm-hmm. You know, it, uh, it was it's it sounds like it's like as far as like taking infusing all this like kind of wide range of stuff and kind of almost like a melting pot to bring it together. It's a lot easier to do. In comics, you don't have to necessarily explain yourself as much, maybe? Yeah, well, maybe people, I don't know, there's something about being forced to, forced is such a negative word, (laughs) being allowed to, uh, you know, participate in the development of the story as you read it, like you become the instrument upon which the work of art is played in a way. Like, the book is inert, and then the book becomes active by your reading it. Uh, And so you you live with it, and then... God, what the hell am I talking about? Uh, I think that there's more, like, audience participation in a book where you as opposed to, like, looking at a work of art on a wall where if it doesn't, if it doesn't give you all of its stuff in a reasonable amount of time, then it's, it's, you can't deal with it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's definitely something where you're more able to spend time with the work in this format um, as, as less, less than limiting, say, with kind of gallery dependence. And I, I don't want to be, like, get negative about showing work in galleries because mm-hmm. I, I love to go see work in galleries and I really admire 
other people's fine art, but I think it's not something that I am great at. Well, what about the... <laughs> I was looking through stuff, and you have, like, your influences Tumblr, um, and just kind of... Oh my god, are we going to talk about Bloodhead? No. <laughs> you can <laughs> if you want. Um, no, 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 I'm curious what you're going to say. It's just Bloodhead is kind of gross. Like, I got, when I posted the link to it on, on my regular, like, comics Tumblr, I got, like, a message from somebody that was like, you're... Your influences blog is so gross. Like I have to unfollow you now. You're obviously a really fucked up person, and I was like, oh. I didn't think so. <laughs> it just like kind of gave me a better idea of like stuff you're into. Um, right. You know. Perfect. But I Much mean, someone would have to be. I mean, I wasn't like super bent out of shape about it. I was just like, well, all right. Someone would have to do something really screwed up to freak me out. So um, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but what okay. I was wondering about is, is you know, as we're using Tumblr more and kind of we have these avenues to look at art and really Tumblr is changing how we kind of engage with art because we're having more of a chance of seeing these single images less based on, at least in comics, multiple images. It's more based on that singular image. Yeah, it's so weird. They're like completely out of context. And sometimes stuff comes up on my dash where I feel like some context for this would be great. Mm -hmm. uh, some kind of an explanation or, you know, sometimes I want to reblog stuff on my inspiration blog so that I have it because it gives me the feels or whatever. Like, I don't know how I feel about it, but it's kind of it make some gears turn in my brain and then I'm like maybe I need to provide an explanation for this there's a photo that I rebugged I don't know maybe a month ago or something that was of a, a woman in an insane asylum and it was one of those pretty like black and white soft focus tomboy photos that was from I don't know the early 20th century and she just kind of has this dazed look her arms are up in the air she's kind of beautiful and creepy and it's just so exploitative like I don't I don't want to participate in you know taking this poor woman's life and like uh, just squeezing the aesthetics out of it for my own use mm -hmm. but at the same time like it, it got me thinking and I kind of wanted to reblog it well there's also this something is the horror of Tumblr the colonization yeah. of Tumblr <laughs> I think there's also something like within an image like that of how you also need to recognize that this is real in a way. Yeah. This, this is for a lot of women was an experience at a less uh, positive time. Yeah. Um. And yeah, part of the part of understanding like what the photo is is knowing that it is real. Yeah. And maybe part of somebody else is looking at the photo and knowing why it's been reblogged by me is that I need to explain the ambivalence that I feel about it. I don't know. Well, I mean, it's the difference between going, here's this photo, it's got baggage, and folks who go, look at this cool photo of 1920s, you know, it's Fucking like, like, weren't things great then? <laughs> Things were so picturesque back then. Yeah. I wish I had that outfit. Um, now I'm just sounding horrible. Yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I was kind of looking at it and thinking about influences, and um, one thing I was wondering about is if you'd been into, like, Italian horror cinema... And one one in particular I was thinking about was uh, Dario Argento's Suspiria. Oh no, I knew you were going to say that. Um, no, was that just someone's asked about it too much? No, it's, <laughs> I'm embarrassed because I haven't seen it, and I know that I should. I just never get around to watching movies. Too much. <laughs> <laughs> and I like people talk to me about it before. I know I know that I'll love it when I see it, but I haven't seen it. 
<laughs> oh no, that's okay. Well, I was wondering about cinema because then you also did a zine about Lars Van Trier. Oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, I believe it was called Chaos Rain. Yes, with the uh, the f- the fox and the crow and the deer. On the yeah, cover. yeah. I do that. I do that image for the cover. Uh, that was published by um, Sean Christensen and Suzette Smith. Okay. Some close friends of mine. And I just, I contributed a couple of drawings to it, and I drew the cover image. We had a lot of fun with that, just contemplating Lars. He is an odd man. Yeah, I kind of, I go back and forth about how I feel about him. You know, on the one hand, you could really make the case for him being a serious misogynist. But to me, I don't know, it's... um, I feel like he, he treats the state of womanhood as a sort of a symbolic state rather than a, a state that actual people inhabit and live their lives in. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Which, you know, on the one hand, maybe negates the entire experience of my life, but on the other hand, means that his movies aren't a critique of women, but a critique of, uh, you know, femininity as a symbol, a feminine trait, as constructed by, constructed by society. I was also thinking... easier to deal with for me. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was thinking about um, the way you tell your stories and how... Um, you use these kind of minimal sets or minimal surroundings. And then I saw, I think it was Jason Overby's thing about uh, Dogville that reminded me of how, like, Dogville was basically, it was just that really minimal set. And it just got me curious thinking about your locations that you like to use um, and how you'll use these specific backgrounds and kind of repeated backgrounds. Um but it's more about the character interaction. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm definitely one of those people who can dread drawing backgrounds. Uh, and especially interiors, all those angles, I, straight lines are hard. Uh, and I, I try to set my comics in places where it's going to be more fun for me to draw the setting, because people are always fun for me to draw. I love to draw people, faces, hands, clothes. Um, but, you know, like the woods. I, I love to set comics in the woods. I love to draw all those little plants and things, all the organic farms, forms. You can't, you can't really do it wrong. Mm-hmm. And I, I, for Black is the Color, I kind of developed a a way of drawing the ocean that felt comfortable for me and started to really like the way that that looked. Uh, I remember when I was drawing Too Dark to See, there was a, a, there a couple of longer... Well, the whole thing takes place really in, like, interiors, like, in a city and apartments and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a little bit excruciating for me. I remember thinking, like, why did I do this? Never setting a comic in an apartment again. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the perspective is all weird, and I was just like, the hell with it. I don't. I kind of... This looks like a doorway. I, I liked how it kind of had this static feeling, though, in parts, where, you, like, you have the folks in the coffee shop, and you're just kind of seeing the coffee maker and this arm, like, wave in front of it as it does stuff. Oh, the part when she's talking to her What is she doing? I don't remember. She's cleaning the... She's, like, blowing the air out of the steam wand and then wiping it down and dumping out, like, a spoiled shot. Like, all those little... little hand gestures, like, things that you do with your hands when you're thinking about something else. Those Mm -hmm. Those are kind of fun. Because you get the sense in the, I mean, it's just one page, I think, where that takes place. But she's, 
probably not paying attention to what her hands are doing when she is doing that. Like, she does that a hundred times a day. And it uh, introduces this kind of mundane routine that's mm -hmm. also interesting to look at to me. I don't know. Well, it kind of reflects on her and her kind of, like you said, mundane routine of just, like, not really having excitement, going to work, working at the coffee shop, going home, and not a happy person. No, it's kind of a, kind of a grim life that is depicted there. I mean... Surely the couple in that story experiences joy and exultation from time to time, but that was not, that was not part of the story. <laughs> <laughs> There's no room for that in my comic. <laughs> There's no joy allowed. No joy is going to be allowed. There we go. It was, it was not long enough to include joy. It's only like 28 pages long or something. Um, joy would be good at wrecking. <laughs> It distracts from the essential sorrow of life. <laughs> um, I totally d just my brain went somewhere else for a second. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about in your work and kind of your take on death, um, and and your kind of your curiosity of it. Like, do you have thoughts on kind of? A lack of finality in death? Um, is it something you're looking to continue exploring and kind of the idea of behind death? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm sure that I will never stop being obsessed with death or sex. Like, I, sometimes people ask me, like, why are you always writing about these things? And it's like, what, what else is there? write about. It's, these are topics worthy of lifelong obsession. Uh, but it's not, I don't really think about my death in a, in a realistic way. I don't spend a lot of time wondering what happens when, what will happen to me when I'm dead. Mm -hmm. uh, or even like, but you are other putting your left. yeah, like I say, you're putting your left. characters through something and kind of like following through. Like the story doesn't end with death. Like yeah, well, I guess what interests me is more like the um, the way that we talk about death or ideas that have already been established about what happens after you die, like becoming a ghost. The idea of ghosts is so compelling. The idea of becoming a ghost, like there was a, um, in the second Ariadne of Noxos, I become a ghost and uh, I get really happy and I'm like, this is going to be so great, I'm going to sneak around at night and freak people out, now I never have to pay back my student loans. And I'm like, you know, like my flesh is like melting off my skull and I have like four scraggly hairs sticking up out of my head and I'm kind of horrible, but I'm super happy. I'm like, <laughs> this is such a stroke of luck. What comic was uh, that? Uh, that was Ariadne of Noxus Volume 2. I believe it is the most popular volume because the picture on the cover is of, you know, me as a ghost kind of skeleton, babe. <laughs> <laughs> Zombie tramp. Zombie tramp. <laughs> it's not really like that. It's not sexy at all. <laughs> uh, but it, it probably is the most, like, next to the other books in the Teenage Dinosaur, like, Oove, it's, uh, it makes the most sense. It's, it's more punk looking than like the one with all the carrots on the cover. Do you, is that where you kind of feel like you found your voice more or, or like more of what you wanted to do with the comics with that work? 
that the the comic where I became a ghost. Yeah. Well, um, I've always, I think all of my comics are always have always been kind of grim. I mean, that's like a comedy comic, and it's still really grim. It's just a lot of talk about death and the mutability of affection. Yeah, um, I named it after this this operetta, the, where, you know the story of Ariadne, she gets uh, abandoned by Theseus from the island of Naxos? Okay. Naxos. A little bit. Uh, after it, after they escape from the labyrinth together. Uh, and in this opera, by Strauss, I think, maybe Strauss the Younger, I don't know. Um, but it's, it's kind of a, there's like a meta-opera where the, the characters in the opera, they're, they're actors trying to decide what kind of opera they're going to perform. Uh, and some of them want to have a comedy and some of them want to have a, a tragedy. And then they start acting out the story of Ariadne. And in the story, Ariadne is... Uh, really upset about the loss of Theseus and she has a a maid or whatever her her lady that's with her that's like you need to get over it you need to get under somebody and, <laughs> and she's like no way no way it's Theseus forever and then like at the end Dionysus shows up and he's like what about me be my girlfriend and she's like yeah Theseus who uh, and that's sort of a, a process that occurs over and over again in the comic, where, like, I am hanging out with, I don't know, uh, like, Enkidu. I'm hanging out with Enkidu from the Epic of Gilgamesh, and we're, like, having an awesome time, and then Gilgamesh is like, hey, Enkidu, come hang out with me, and Enkidu's like, see you later. And then I'm like, hmm. And then Doctor Who shows up, and he's like, come ride in my TARDIS, and I'm like, this is my life now, this is great, and I'm just, like, constantly trading in one man and one lifestyle for another. It's mostly men. That's Ariadne of Um, good old Doctor Who. Um. Pardon? Good old Doctor Who. Yeah. It was, it's a little dated now, because this was David Tennant, maybe, I don't know, we talked about re-releasing these as a collected thing, but I was like, maybe people won't even recognize this after who. Oh, I'm it's sure like they'll just be fine. Twilight and stuff, and it's like, mm. Just change it to Team Jacob. <laughs> um, we were talking earlier about, um with your work and kind of I think we kind of talked a little bit about symbols and I'm curious about um, in your work now uh, even like looking through stuff and you like done the tattoo for someone of the, the hand gesture mm-hmm. um, which in, where, where is that hand gesture from like I was trying to think of what the I don't you know the person who commissioned me to do that tattoo had sent me some reference images of the gesture that mm-hmm. he wanted me to draw, and they were, I don't know where he got them, um, but he didn't, you know, he had, he was like, oh, I don't like the angle that this is drawn at, and this hand is not quite right either, so I took a photo of my hand making that gesture and, and drew it from that, but that was specifically his thing that he wanted and I don't know but you do like exactly what it was. in your work you do like to use symbols um, yes and kind of For symbolic sure. allegory I guess and I wonder if there's mm-hmm. like any traditions you find yourself tapping into for that well I mean I'm kind of a polyphile as far as that goes um
I think I take stuff from all over. This is sounding so weaselly right now because I'm trying to pin it down. Uh, I read a lot, um, and I keep a lot of notebooks where I write down just small pieces of information that I want to hold on to. Um, so, and you know, sometimes I read real books, and sometimes I just like fall into an internet hole and take information from there. Uh, let's see. I'm gonna. What? So the benefit of me being in my apartment right now, while I'm talking to you, is that I'm just gonna walk around and see what are the books lying out that I've been reading recently. Uh, one person I was curious about if you'd been kind of interested in kind of the imagery that Alistair Crowley had used. I, I've read a little Alistair Crowley. I do. I am interested definitely in that um, era of occultism. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just the... Because one of the things I was wondering about was uh, if you knew about the, uh, or want to talk about the, he lived in this, like, island in Italy where they had a uh, a building and they just, like, covered the whole building in these weird pornographic frescoes and just, like, the whole inch, every inch of the room was just covered in this weird, like, occult sex. Really? Who drew these drawings? This is, like, Crowley craziness. I'm googling Alistair Crowley's sex mansion. <laughs> I don't know if that's gonna be a mansion, as much as a uh, castle, sex a, castle, a rundown shack at this point. <laughs> How about sex Italy? There we go. Um, no, I don't know about this. I'm really curious about it now. <laughs> well, now you have uh, homework for you. <laughs> um, do you? Another thing I was wondering about, kind of, I could see seeping into your work maybe, is kind of Reformation era type, like woodblock imagery, um, like a lot of that kind of witch hunting era type stuff, but like the really European, uh -huh. the European stuff, not totally. I really like, um, especially German religious art. Mm -hmm. It's really you know, the bony joints and, like, the lots of blood drips and harrowing facial expressions, uh, woodcuts of people being tortured. You know that because you see my Tumblr. Well, I, uh, I did a, I actually <laughs> did a, a paper in school on, uh, specifically, uh, German Reformation era, uh, woodcuts. And just kind of yeah that stuff's great well maybe you have some recommendations for me oh I c uh, I'm I'm really into juror uh, and that's like my nice juror book is one of the things that I will consult if I'm like how should I draw this tree how should I draw this cloud I'll be like how how would juror on it It, it, the the neat thing, though, is just how they are able to kind of boil things down into um, less detail. At least the stuff I'm thinking of, but getting into like these really monstrous, horrific imagery. And it, it's kind of kind of matter of fact in a way. Yeah. Maybe the starkness of the black and white makes it seem that way. Uh. Yeah, I like that. I do. Uh, it's the starkness makes it so much more compelling than like a a really lush Victorian illustration, say. No, it's scary. It's more scary. Yeah, and your own work, you very, very, very rarely use any color. Um, yeah, I really don't. <laughs> and um, is that an aesthetic choice? Is that just a not comfortable with color? 
Um, well, I think uh, the way that my style of drawing comics is developed is partly um, based on what's going to be what's going to reproduce well inside their exit. So there's that element. Um, I've been trying to use color a little bit to do prints and stuff, but I don't like to do it. Actually, I do the the, the artwork that I like the best. It's almost all black and white. And even like illustrators that I like their black and white work, I don't like their color work. Like Harry Clark. Like I I mean his illustrations for uh, for Poe are like mind blowing. And then I saw uh, I saw some reproductions of his color illustrations and I was like, Oh, oh no. Or <laughs> <laughs> this artist recently, um, I used to be really into, I guess I, I still am, um, Arthurian legends, and there's like a great database of uh, English, like every every poem and uh, play and like illustration from that references Arthurian legend, which uh, is a website. I'm talking about a website. Uh, and the guy, this guy Lancelot Speed, his, all of his drawings in color, I was like, oh man, this guy, like, with your fucking name and your fucking Arthurian legend drawings, like, give me a break. And then I saw some black and white drawings of his recently, and I was like, you are great. You are amazing. I don't know if it's just my taste or maybe it's just like the, the cheesy way that this uh, the color has degraded in these illustrations it's bumming me out so much but I prefer to look at black and white illustrations as mm-hmm. a shot I guess that's it it's uh, I mean I guess it's suiting that the name of your latest is black is the color yeah That colors. That's going to be released by Fanographics. Yes, Fanographics uh, is going to publish that as a complete volume in September of this year. Oh, okay. Which is great. Yeah. Um, had you, because you still have them as mini comics, are you just going to kind of yeah. sell what you have left and then leave it at that? Well, actually, I have sold out of them, and I just recently made more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't think that the mini-comic and the, the real book are going to necessarily compete with each other. Mm-hmm. But I... Um, I don't know how to say this in a way that doesn't sound snotty, but I just I'm kind of done making mini comics like it's exhausting it's not it's not snotty it's, <laughs> it's okay it's a pain in the ass right I've made a lot of mini comics I mean I've been making scenes since I was little it's just a lot of so what's what's your plan for future work then I mean you black is the color it's done I mean people can see it online they can get the minis they can get the book when it comes out from Fana. Um, are you starting work on another comics project? or I've been doing a lot of anthology pieces now. I guess my name has gotten out there a little bit and I get a lot of um, invitations to participate in anthologies, which is great, mm-hmm. especially if they pay even just a little bit. Uh, that's really exciting. Um, and I've done, like, I don't know, maybe four or five anthology pieces so far this year, just little ones. And I made this this rule to myself that I wasn't going to do free pieces for anthologies unless I could, like, I would imagine how much time the piece is going to take me 
Mm-hmm. And then I would imagine if I was getting paid minimum wage for that, how much money it would be. And then I would imagine myself holding that much money in my hand and just giving it as a gift to the person who was making the anthology. And if, if that image made me uncomfortable, then I wasn't going to do the anthology. And I broke that rule almost immediately. <laughs> I think it's good to be realist, like, people don't talk about this, but, like, a lot of anthologies, it's just a lot of people doing work gratis, and, um, you know, I know it was important for Ryan Sands to be paying folks for thickness. Yeah, that was really awesome. I mean, I respected him so much for doing that. And, I mean, they paid a reasonable amount, too, I thought. Mm Mm-hmm. I felt okay about it. Yeah. Um, it just makes you feel like they they give a damn. You know, because I've had it happen too where I'll do a piece for somebody's project and there's no money involved and they're kind of flaky and then, like, the project just fizzles and it's like, well, now I have this piece that I spent, like, 40 hours on that is never going to... Yeah, that's gonna. Ha- I have to figure out what I'm gonna do with it now. Yeah, it's a bummer. You know, so if somebody gives you some money, then you know they're taking it seriously. Yeah, which is nice. Well, that's an interesting. But, you know, I'll do. I'll do free stuff too if I if I really love the concept of the anthology. Mm-hmm. Or I'll do it just because I'm a masochist. Also, <laughs> <laughs> I r- I rarely say no to be honest. I'm trying to curse myself to say no more. What are some anthology work that's coming up that we can check out that you're particularly proud of? Well, I contributed a piece to the um, how do you say it? Kush? K-U-S with the little... Kush? Kush? They have an auto-bio issue coming out I think in the spring. So I did a four-page piece for that. Uh, and what else did I do? I did a piece for um, Runner Runner, which is Tugboat Press's free comic day publication. Oh, nice. Yeah, that was really fun. That was the one that I did. I was talking about it on Facebook. It's about Ryan Gosling. It's called The 39 Ryan Gosling's. <laughs> and it's just 39 drawings of Ryan Gosling. <laughs> Why? So, like, different, different types of Ryan Gosling. Like, it starts out kind of normal, like, baby Ryan Gosling and, like, what, what was the movie? Um, Jewish uh, Jewish skinhead Ryan Gosling. And then it gets down towards the end, and it's just not even Ryan Gosling anymore. It's, like, Peter Dinklage. And there's, like, there's, there's a drawing of a Gosling, naturally. There was, like... Downton Abbey, Ryan Gosling, which was the, the blonde guy, not Ryan Gosling. Matthew. Right. Uh, yes, I watched the show. <laughs> it's a great show. <laughs> and so I'm happy about it because I, I feel that I will never have to explain to somebody why cheese and blister is not about like a man and his father anymore. <laughs> have you ever had that conversation with somebody? People are so sure that Jesus is a father. But now, because of Denton Abbey, people know what a family is. Yeah. I am Canadian, so, you know. (laughs) Does that mean you knew what a valley was already? So you guys are still really feudal over there? I watched the show when I was a kid. I remember. Keith and Lester? Yeah. That's great, with with Stephen Fry and... Hugh Laurie. Yeah. I'm a big Hugh Laurie fan. I'm, uh... Yeah, he's terrific. The theme song of that show is so catchy. I love those books. I, I read those books when I'm feeling down. They really give you a, a, a kick in the mood. Ah, <laughs> uh, England. They're very charming. Yes. Well, they're very charming actors, too, so it all works out well. Yeah. Together. Did you? There was one episode where they like jump off a boat. I don't remember this happening in the books. Like they get in some scrape and they can't get out of it, and they're on a boat crossing the Atlantic Ocean, and they just jump. 
And then at the end of the episode, they're like returning to their apartment and they have these great big beards and their clothes are all ragged and they're like, wow, that was crazy how we just like, you know, swam home and lived on a tropical island and like had all these stupid adventures. It's very surreal. I don't remember it, but it's also probably been more years than I wish to count since I may have seen that. Uh, I, I have to admit, <laughs> I have a DVD back. <laughs> <laughs> well, you gotta watch something when you're making these comics. That's true. It gets lonely. It gets lonely. No, actually, I, I work, I have a full-time job right now, so I, I make comics, you know, between, like, 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. on the nights when I don't collapse after dinner. Yeah, because you also, <laughs> you have a kid, too. So that's true. Kind of, that's, uh, that's and a lot. It's, it's extremely soporific to put a small child to bed. You know, they're really cuddly. They have, like, a sweet, sleepy smell. You make the room all dark, and it'll knock you right out. It's <laughs> dangerous. It's not good for comics making. No. No. Um, well, thank you for taking the time to chat with me today, Julia. Uh, reminder, yeah, folks, thank I've been you, Roman. talking to Julia Graffer. Um, her latest is Black is the Color, as well as Flesh and Bone, and Too Dark to See, and you can find her in anthologies like LVT, and, uh, The Thickness, and, um, Runner Runner, you mentioned, which will be out Free Comic Day. And much. Yeah. Oh, and the, the Gridlord's Romance Anthology. I just did a piece for that. That's oh, being that's released right. today. Oh, well, there we go. Will you have it at uh, at Wizard World Portland? Uh, well, it comes out tonight, so maybe okay. I'll have it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, have fun and enjoy Wizard World. Thanks. Wish me luck. You'll do fine. Christian named Paul And he wrote important chapters in the Bible But the blood on his writing hand Reeked to high heaven And Paul resolved to die So he wrote to friends in Rome A senator who owed him a favor Asking for an executioner So Paul could make his exit as a martyr The senator sent this answer He said, should you be so lucky Like Saint Sebastian Preferring the egg to the aspirin Swooning as they shoot the arrows through your narrow chest Stripping naked in the circus maximus With a martyr-eating lioness Bartering with flesh for a little pain Seems like this gives sadomasochism a bad name For a little pain It seems like this gives sadomasochism a bad name When you're lucky like Saint Sebastian Going out with a bang, just hear me Whippering with joy As Mr. Death receives his blue-eyed boy Surrender unto Caesar or to God It makes no odds There's just one thing the martyr wants to say 
enjoy the play.